just make the best damn work you can. Don't rush it. Make your best work. Because the better that work is, the better it's going to kind of translate in any of these different venues that you can share images of your work or how you work. Welcome to the Bold Brush Podcast, where we believe that fortune favors the bold brush. My name is Laura Aringelayer, and I'm your host. To start off season two, I interviewed Christian Fagerlund, a figure painter who is also a professor at the University of North Texas. We talk about his career as an artist and how being a professor at University of North Texas has affected his career and sales, as well as some really awesome tips for artists who are just starting out and don't quite know where to start. And we talk about some of his upcoming projects, such as online courses and some Zoom portraits. Hello, Christian. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This is really great to be able to hear from you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really happy to be here. That's good. So for people who don't know who you are, can you give us a little bit of your background and what you do? Yeah. So I was born and grew up in Michigan. Yeah, born in 73 and spent up until high school there and then moved to California for undergrad um, and went to the University of California, Santa Barbara. Um, doing art studio, graduated 95, and then spent about seven years working as a working for a variety of decorative painting companies. Yeah, doing work kind of all over the US and, and abroad. And then I think it was about 98 or 99. I was my wife kind of helped me realize that I needed to get back into fine art. Like, I don't know, decorative arts, it's kind of easy to get sucked into that world because there's there's always a demand for it. There's always wealthy people wanting things painted in their homes. Oh yeah. Often <laughs> kind of weird things. But and and it kind of satisfies you in some way because you're still painting, you're still mixing color and creating images and things like that, but but not really satisfying because you're not you're not in control. So uh, I decided to kind of build up a portfolio, apply to grad schools, and in 2002, got uh, accepted to the New York Academy of Art, which was wonderful. Wasn't planning on, didn't really want to go to New York for school. I'd visited many times, and it was just kind of too intense of a place for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> but um, but once I learned about that school, I was like, oh, that school could be anywhere, and I would have gone just the faculty, their mission. It was just perfect. So yeah, did school and then did the the third year postgraduate fellowship that they offer. So spent three years there and then a couple more years working in New York and then then moved to the Bay Area, did a bit of decorative work, kept my kind of studio practice up and then started teaching, which was just totally off my radar as a kind of profession. But just immediately knew I, I loved it. So started adjuncting at a wide variety of schools in the Bay Area. And then finally in 2014, got a job at the University of North Texas, where I'm still teaching. And I am a principal lecturer of drawing and painting there. And I've been there for the past eight years. So yeah, I, I kind of, uh, I'd say a majority of my time and energy goes into my kind of full-time teaching job. And then whenever I can, I'm I'm making my own work and exhibiting when I can and kind of building that that side of my kind of professional life. Wow. So teaching really wasn't something you expected. Like how did you end up teaching then? 
Uh, it was it was part of the um, the postgraduate fellowship at the academy. Um, hmm. Like they choose they choose three students to stay on for a third year, and hmm. part of that fellowship is to actually be a TA for for the instructors there for the faculty, which is a little odd because you know usually in grad school if you're a TA you're you're TAing for students that are undergrad, um, but mm-hmm. the academy is all graduate students, so it's in some ways, it was a little weird because you're like helping teach people that are only a year, two years behind you, you know, mm-hmm. um, are going through the experience that you just went through. But um, so that was like the first taste of it. And it was just, you know, they were six hour classes. The first three hours, the the instructor would be there. And then the second three hours, um, you would be there kind of helping students in any way you could. And it was, it was, a really interesting practice because you're teeing for different faculty who all have kind of different approaches. So during those three hours, you know, if it was a class for Stephen Assale, I would be kind of hooked into his way of thinking and painting and teaching and just trying to kind of emulate that as much as I could for for the second three hours. And then you'd switch and go over to, you know, John DeMartin's class and have kind of have to shift your mindset to his methods but it was just it was so satisfying to to see to feel like you were really helping people and kind of making a difference um in their in their kind of learning process so it was it was just yeah i i hadn't hadn't really thought about it in the past but it was super satisfying wow i guess it was one of your callings then yeah yeah definitely i feel very lucky to have had to have had the opportunity to, to kind of get exposed to it and to do it after that, you know, after, after the Academy, the first teaching job was, a it was at a, a place in Brooklyn called UFT, uh, United Federation of Teachers. And it was kind of a continuing ed um, program for retired teachers. So um, really light kind of beginning level stuff, but they were such a great group because they were all you know, lifelong teachers, and now they were mm-hmm. the student. And so they were just really empathetic and receptive to to learning and excited. So, so it's, yeah. And then that, that led into other continuing ed and atelier work in the Bay Area and community college, just a wide variety of, of student populations, like working different skill levels, different kind of socioeconomic backgrounds. And mm. it's really great. Wow. So how has teaching all of these different groups of people changed the way that you view your work? Yeah, I think I remember at some point someone said, has, has teaching helped you in your own work? And I had to think about it for a bit um, and ultimately came up with, well, at that time, I, I thought, no, no, it hasn't really helped my own work because when you're doing it so much, you've, you know, you've got a certain mindset a certain kind of critique mindset where you're looking out for, you know, for weaknesses in students' work and trying to get help them get better. And so there's this, there are these certain kind of benchmarks or criteria that you're, that you're kind of asking of your students. And if your if your head is in that mindset so many hours a day, then when you come back to your own work, it feels, it's hard to kind of like flip that off, especially mm-hmm. if you're trying something new, trying to kind of work in a different way, work with a different process, explore new 
new kind of ways of drawing and painting, it felt difficult to kind of get rid of that teacher mindset. Yeah. The hypercritical side. Yeah. 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 In the same way that like during grad school, when you're studying with all these different instructors with different approaches, giving you different kinds of critique, like, I don't know, it took me probably two years to to like get their voices out of my head and figure out kind of what was important to me in my mm-hmm. work. So, but I, I do think really good things have come out of it. I mean, mainly just, just kind of clarifying, like through, through, through teaching, through communicating with students, um, you start to distill your thoughts about kind of what's, what's important in the work and what mm-hmm. makes it good. Um whether it has to do with composition or design, um, where it's not this kind of just purely intuitive uh, thing that you're that you're thinking about and doing, but it's it's like you've had to verbalize that with students and demonstrate those things with students, and so that brings a certain kind of clarity for those essentials, like in your own work. Right. Yeah, it makes the ideas more concrete. Yeah. Yeah. If they're not concrete, then the other person won't understand what you're even trying to explain. Yeah. 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 Communication is so key in that relationship, just clear, direct communication. So, yeah, it's, it's, so overall, I think it's been good. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been, it's been good in that, you know, I, I feel like I, especially at the University of North Texas, I, I have classes that are very, kind of fundamental skill-based, like learning to see, learning about color, learning about proportion and shape and figure structure and anatomy, like all of these very kind of straightforward subjects. And then there's there's a whole other set of classes, you know, like mainly the kind of senior studio, senior capstone classes, or teaching graduate students where they're working on their own things, their own ideas, their own ways of working. And with them, it's teaching those classes has been great in terms of just kind of opening up my own ways of thinking, because you have to, it's no longer about just kind of transference of knowledge. It's about being empathetic with how that individual wants to work Mm -hmm. and trying to help them find the most kind of efficient and visually impactful way of making that work. So that, that, I think that kind of openness, um, in terms of my, my mindset, even my aesthetics has, has helped me in my own practice. And I, I think a lot of it's still, I'm still kind of processing a lot of it, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of those lessons that I've worked on with those students, like incorporate, incorporating that into my own practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's also what I would say would make you a very good instructor too, maintaining that openness and that empathy to trying to understand what this individual needs instead of trying to make them all little copies of you which is unfortunately what happens with a lot of other artists when they have students they just end up being mini copies yeah i i have always not wanted that and actively worked against that even if it is a more skill-based technique-based course Mm -hmm. it's like you know there's there's some core principles that you're trying to get across, like in a figure painting class, you know, I'm talking about gesture and anatomy and color and form. And, but you can, you can have those, those kind of basic 
criteria down, but mm -hmm. my God, like it can manifest in so many different ways. Um, so I yes. really don't want them to paint like me, but I do want them to illustrate an understanding and knowledge and practice mm -hmm. of, of those fundamentals. But yeah, it's always, it's always felt a bit icky to me when you see students coming out of school where it's just so derivative of the instructor's work, whether it's yeah. in terms of aesthetic or um, aesthetic, technique, subject matter, you know. Yeah, and I think it's beautiful to also, as it seems like you're doing, uh, to maintain that individual's voice because it, yeah. it can get drowned out, especially when it's just a beginner, just starting out in, in the world of painting and drawing and expression. It's so easy to lose their voice, especially in the beginning years. It's almost like after that, we have to get it back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And there's often it, it feels like, yeah, during that during that phase of learning kind of the fundamentals, it's you kind of forget about your own voice, you know, like you're kind of pushed out to the to the side. And, you know, part of the advanced classes is, is about trying to kind of coax that out of the person. And not only like what their original voice was, but like how they've changed and who they are now, you know, like what are what are you really passionate about? Like, what do you want to paint? What do you want to yes. say with your paint? What feeling do you want to create with your work? Um, and that's that for me, that's kind of always changing. And so I'm always pushing students to not get in a rut. You know, like if you're not, if you're not into what you're doing, <laughs> ignore the feedback, the the positive feedback of, that you've gotten in the past of that work mm -hmm. and just just move into something new, challenge yourself with something new. I agree. Yeah. And unfortunately, what I've seen also, which I'm sure you've seen too, is uh, people who are painting for the market instead of making a market of their paintings, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And they made, I mean, they're, I, I can, I can sympathize with people that do that. Like it's understandable. And oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, making, making a living at making art is really, really difficult. And there are things that, I think it can be very tempting to adopt any tactics to kind of continue the success that you've been been having, mm -hmm. and scary to kind of let that go. But mm -hmm. but it's uh, yeah, I've felt that pressure at points, but it's it's never it's never sat well for me. Like it's yeah. it's always felt wrong. Yeah, it feels like you're not satisfied. Yeah, and you're yeah. not growing. You're not kind of addressing like your own change and who mm -hmm. you are. You know, um, and often with, you know, often with with people's work that you see just kind of remain the same yeah. year after year after year. I'm not talking about like, I think it's great to kind of, of course, dig in and stick with something for for a good chunk of time, whether that's a year or three years or five years or whatever. But where you see this almost too much continuity over kind of decades of, of, of professional life. Mm -hmm. I just, I always wonder like, God, don't you get bored? <laughs> like, Don't you <laughs> don't, but, but, you know, maybe they don't, maybe it's, maybe it's great for them. And maybe it's yeah. kind of making paintings for the market because they've had success with that. Exactly. I don't know, but I can't, I would just, I'd go a bit nuts. Oh, me too. Yeah. And like you said, there's, it's almost like a plateau, you know, they, 
there's no growth. There's no exploration. Exactly. Like you said. And, um, I know maybe for some collectors, they prefer that to not happen. Although some collectors, when they see that a, a painter takes a different direction, they, they go crazy for it. They love it. They're like, Oh my God, I have to collect these too. So I guess in that way, just, uh, that's, what's so important about, you know, when you paint for the market versus when you create a market of paintings, you know, um, which leads me to this question, which is how has teaching affected your sales? Yeah. I was thinking about this question. Um, and I think, I think in a very straightforward and basic way, it has, um, I'd say, hurt my sales, mainly in that, I mean, it just straight up, like, like you've got kind of X amount of energy, you know, to, to give to your work. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, my work is teaching and drawing and painting. And so the more, the more um, kind of time and energy that I give to my teaching, it means that I'm making less work overall which means that I'm selling less work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, like it's yet, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of have it any other way. Like if I was, if I was just full time, if I had all the money in the world, I would still be itching to teach. Maybe not as much as I do now, but it's, it's just as kind of satisfying. And I feel just as passionate about it as I do about making work. So, so I think it's about like finding a, for me, it's about finding a balance between those two main activities, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and it kind of ebbs and flows. I mean, there, there are kind of connections that I've made through teaching um, that have helped in terms of connecting with galleries or, or showing with, with colleagues that I teach with. So there, there are things that have come out of that, but I'm sure that my sales would be better overall if if i wasn't teaching as much as i do Mm. does that make sense yeah yeah i mean it's it's like you said you have a limited amount of time a day and if you had a you know that teaching time was placed into selling time then it would be a little bit different building your artist website can be a hassle but with faso they make it easy to get online sell more of your work and promote your art Right now, for our Bold Brush podcast listeners, you can get over 50% off your first year on Faso with our special link. Simply visit faso.com forward slash podcast. Faso is a leading provider of fine art websites. They have online marketing tips that you get every week, as well as online workshops and other tips and tricks to help you sell your work. So remember, use our link faso.com forward slash podcast to get over 50% off right now. That's faso.com forward slash podcast. I'd also like to give a huge thank you and shout out to Chelsea Classical Studio for their continued support in this podcast. If you're looking for archival painting supplies that are handmade with a lot of patience, then check them out at chelseaclassicalstudio.com. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it's good that through your network, you've also been able to participate in shows and work with galleries. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And it's, I think it's just... You know, there's a lot of kind of comparison that you make with yourself between yourself and others that are, you know, making work, exhibiting. And I think it's just taking me a while to to accept that I'm not one of those people that can have a solo show every year. Like it it takes with the time that I have, it takes it takes a long time to build up enough work, build up a full body of work that is kind of show worthy. 
you know, it's generally been every kind of three to four years, but then in between those solo shows, it's about continuing to build that exhibition record, participating Mm -hmm. in as many group shows as I can, you know, it's usually about six to 10 a year. So still making work, still exhibiting, but, but I'm, I can't expect myself to have the time to, at least with the way that I work, I think if I was a, a quick painter or if my paintings work kind of quick, then then maybe it would I'd be able to do more of that. But they're they're slow going. They're kind of they're labor intensive relative to I think a lot of contemporary art that's out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's fine. I think it's it's also nice to have a slow pace in a world where it's you know, especially with social media, it's like, go, 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 post, 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 post. Yeah. And I'm also like you, where I, I like to take my time with my work. And it kind of makes me feel a little bit funny about social media because, you know, you, you feel this pressure on the inside of, oh my God, I have to post something. Yeah. But you're also so focused on making a beautiful piece that nothing else exists except that piece. Yeah. So I'm totally with you. I think everyone has their own pace for things and you can make it work for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it was, you know, I just, I spent a couple months in Italy this summer with, well, the first five weeks with a study abroad program at UNT and took 15 students to Florence. And I mean, there are so many beautiful things that come out of that trip and mm-hmm. working with students in that environment. But one of them that I hope kind of stuck with them was just to see, see work that that's masterful and that is ambitious. Like when I compare what I do with, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like you get these incredible paintings that are so complex. The scale is incredible. You know, it took years to make, Mm -hmm. or maybe not years if they had a, you know, had a workshop of people helping them make those paintings. But I just, I wanted the students to, to see like, like this is what's possible. It does not have to be, you know, make a painting every week or every two weeks. Like it, you can spend your time and make something really special and unique and masterful. But, mm-hmm. but you can't do that. You can't do that in, you know, over a weekend and post a quick time lapse of it and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, expect the same product, you know. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it's like you also said, it It depends on the sensibilities of each person. I know some people, they work fast. I'm like, how the hell? <laughs> I cannot do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I don't know if it's, a, there's something about, it's like you're stopping and smelling the roses and they smell their roses their way and you smell your roses <laughs> your way, you know, <laughs> Yeah, which is, you know, it works out. But speaking of social media, how has social media also affected your work and even how you sell your work? So the, in terms of selling, it's, it's a relatively new area for me. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm a kind of a couple of years, maybe more <laughs> behind on, on kind of joining social media, really learning to, to kind of utilize, utilize it as a, as a, as a tool period, but as a, as a, especially as a tool for, for sales. Um, I mean, I'm, I've, I've used Instagram, you know, I'd say over the last three or four years, I've kind of switched over more, putting more focus on Instagram than Facebook, you know, and even that was kind of behind the trend. It's like, okay, I should have been doing that like 
two years before that. But I've primarily been using it as a way of, I guess, marketing myself in a in a kind of informal way, sharing work and sharing my process in a way that you didn't, wouldn't get from a gallery show or from, yeah, from other other venues. But I haven't, I am just literally like now, like this past month, past two months, mm-hmm. just starting to dip my toe into the the whole kind of sales potential of, of that platform. Yeah. So it's, it's been, uh, there's a lot to learn and it feels like it's kind of always changing very, very quickly. I mean, yeah. even with this, even with this most recent change, I think with kind of Instagram shifting over to reels kind of in, in competition with, or trying to compete with TikTok and all of that, mm-hmm. but it going from this kind of image post-based interaction to like really prioritizing the reels like that that whole switch one i don't i don't like it mm-hmm. i don't like the pressure of it but but just trying to kind of keep up with it as much as i can without spending you know multiple hours a day focusing on it it's uh it's a little tricky but it's but it's been great in terms of exposure and mm-hmm. and getting people to kind of know who you are and who like what work you're making and yeah, what you're thinking about it just, I like the kind of informal quality of it. It's like, right. it feels like studio visits with people, you know, instead of these polished, finished bodies of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have more of an opportunity to be a little more open, a little uh-huh. more intimate, obviously without exposing too much, but <laughs> it's a, a good level of uh, intimacy yeah. with uh, people who love your work and people yeah. who want to know more about your work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So aside from social media, I mean, there are a lot of other ways to to sell your work and to get your work out there. And you did mention that you use your your networking with the school and with uh, a lot of your coworkers to get your work out there. Do you have any tips for anyone who's just starting out, who's maybe just finished at college or at an atelier? What tips would you give them to start getting their work out there? Yeah. So I I think I think first and foremost it would be just make the best damn work you can. Like just don't rush it. Just make make your best work. Forget about the marketing of it. For like initially, because the better that work is, the better it's gonna kind of translate in any of these different venues that you can kind of share images of your work or how you work. I think another suggestion I would have. It's just to not not be kind of precious about about your work, you know, just to be open to any opportunities to get your work out as often as you can. There are so many, so many opportunities to to show work, whether it's kind of online venues or, um, you know, brick and mortar shows that are happening. I don't know if you know uh, cafe like dot org call for artists it's a great website that so it's i think it's cafe c-a-f-e.org um or if you just googled call for artists it's a hub that has thousands and thousands of open call invitational juried shows um fellowships residencies things like that but great opportunities so you can 
you can scroll through that, get on their mailing list, set up some criteria, you know, for what kinds of shows you're looking, looking for and get um, emails, updates. But I will always, always suggest that to, to students to just like, just start getting your work out there. Cause so much of it is about, I think, kind of building, building an exhibition history, which can start right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so few, like when you think about it, when you're looking at, you know, people's CVs and looking at their exhibition history, it's, it's rare that I know the galleries or spaces that they're showing. What makes an impression is that they're showing like, or that they, that year they've shown at X amount in X amount of shows, you know, you get big, bigger name galleries that are more well-known and that's wonderful. But I really think it's about the numbers, you know, it's about just getting your work out there and showing it as much as possible. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking about is I think one big one when you're, when you're starting out is just to price your work low. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can always go higher, um, mm-hmm. but you can't, yeah, you can't go in reverse. And this kind of relates back to the not being precious about your work. Mm-hmm. Like you want to just get your work out and you want to get your best work out. So, you know, I remember when I first started making sales, I mean, they were, they were really low, low priced. <laughs> um, like the people that got those paintings, I think they were getting a good deal, but they mm. were also like, you know, connections that came through those, those dealer relationships and blossomed into, into something bigger, you know, five, 10, 15 years later, it's like, mm-hmm. that's invaluable and way, way more important than, you know, making an extra 200, $500 on a painting, like just, so I would, I would say price low and then you know, you're setting this precedent, all, you know, art sales, they're, they're so arbitrary, you know, they're not really based on like how much time you spent on it, or it's based on precedent, you know, like Mm -hmm. sales precedent. So, so you just want to kind of keep incrementally raising those prices until you 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 might start to feel a, you know, a, a threshold where people are like, oh, that's a little too much. And so you kind of back, back down slightly, but so many of them are buying them as investments. I mean, it's wonderful when they're buying them because they love the work, but a mm-hmm. lot of the dealers, they're they're buying them with the hopes that they're getting it at a price and they'll be able to sell that work or its worth will be way more 5, 10, 20 years from now. I guess one other thing, one big thing that I would say, I think a mistake that I see often is, is I would suggest having uh having an instagram account or social media account that is devoted purely to your work um to kind of separate have a personal account where you post pictures of your dogs and food and (laughs) family members and everything Mm -hmm. but i would not not mix the two just have a have an account that's that's basically like an informal portfolio of your work and your process and anything related to that and there are so many great resources on how to how to kind of build followers, exposure, um, even studio sales. So many great resources with Faso and Bold Brush. Uh, so if you're not connected to them, I would get on their newsletter and yes. utilize those resources. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there was also a great course that I took um, with Dina Brodsky called Instagram for Artists. Mm. Um, and it was invaluable, like just chock full of great information, things I had no clue about. So I would also suggest, um, yeah, connecting with that. She's She, she offers them uh, regularly and you can either do it live or recorded versions, but yeah. Instagram for artists. It's awesome. Really good. Yeah. And uh, speaking of video courses, I know you're a professor at yeah. a university, but you mentioned to me that you're also dipping your toes in creating some online courses. So tell us more about them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm in the, in the midst of it right now. I mean, the, the plan is to kind of work on, well, I guess first off, I'll say I, I love teaching at UNT. I love working with my students in the studio. I mean, it's, it's ideal, but I also wanted to find other ways of transferring knowledge and lessons to a broader audience um, and at, at an affordable rate, you know, so that it's accessible to people. Um, so I'm starting, uh, I've got a series of modules ranging from kind of fundamentals to various drawing and painting techniques, different subjects, some that will be geared more towards advanced people that kind of are past those, those kind of beginning and intermediate stages. So the, the course lists are, are written. I'm developing a space and figuring out the, the technology to, to make those videos, but trying not to get bogged down in the technology too much mm -hmm. because it's uh it's like I want something I want something good but I don't need you know a highly polished DVD that's not what I'm thinking for these so so the plan is to have kind of a la carte individual um lessons that you can purchase mm -hmm. um or kind of bundle them together into a module and kind of get a deal on on all of them together so the plan is hopefully I'd say, yeah, I'll be working on it through the, the fall and the spring. So I'm shooting for summer to start offering those, those courses online. Nice. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think it'll be, I think it'll be great and it'll be combined. So those, those are kind of recorded lessons, but I also want to um, have an offering that's, that's live, you know, mm both kind of private classes, group critiques, um, live demos, things where there can be actual interaction. And it's just not, it's not just kind of about sharing lessons and information. Yeah. 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 And then again, social media is the best place to do yes. that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's yeah. great. And then do you have any other exciting upcoming projects? Yeah, I mean, one that I just uh, started digging into over the past three or four weeks is, it, yeah, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. But I'm well. I'll preface it by saying, the last year and a half, two years, ever since the pandemic hit, I started doing a lot of. You know, we were isolated, alone in the studio, and I was kind of starving for some kind of studio interaction live. Um, so I started doing these these Zoom figure drawings, you know, where there'd be a live model posing, and 
And it was, it was frustrating at first, you know, when you're used to having a live model right in front of you and you can kind of control lighting and pose and where you are in the room and it, you know, and there's, there's a certain kind of lack of clarity and clunkiness to the, to a lot of zoom images. Mm -hmm. So it was frustrating at first, but, but I grew to really like it. And it really started changing my whole drawing practice and how I thought about drawing. So that was, that was exciting. And, and it was great to be able to kind of access people from across the world and be able to kind of work with them. So this project that I started a few weeks ago, it's, it's, it's a, a series of portraits of artists that I have followed, have been inspired by for years now. And I'm approaching them, meeting with them through Zoom, taking screenshots and doing a, a series of portraits of those artists. My aim is 30. I'm going to kind of like my top 30, you know, and yeah, I'm already in, I've got four four that are happening now and a lot more to kind of start and approach approach them to see if they're up for it it's always uh some people can be kind of shy over zoom oh yeah <laughs> um or artists like not used to being looked at in that way as the model mm -hmm. but it's really it's a it's a way to kind of like honor them and kind of what they mean to me and also to connect with a lot of them because so many of them I, I just I've never met you know I've, mm -hmm. I've admired from afar or you kind of are acquaintances on Instagram it's a yeah a way to kind of connect and get to know one another so yeah that's and I, I'm hoping that that will eventually turn into an exhibition and or uh, a book I'd love to kind of publish it as a book once it's finished oh that would be really great yeah, yeah. well I hope that it works out and you can get all of your 30. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, it can be kind of hard to reach out to people and then to get them on Zoom. Uh, yeah. First-hand experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I hope that they all get back to you. And then if anyone wants to get your video courses next year, of course, um, do you mind giving us your website? Yeah. So my website is first and last name, uh, christianfagerland.com. C H R I S T I A N F A G E R L U N D dot com. Um, yeah, they can email me through the website. Um, I'll start very soon. I'd say in the next week, I'll start a um, kind of email list subscription option on the website. But in the meantime, you can just hit contact, send me an email, and I'll add you to that contact list. And I'll also be, um, of course, advertising them on on Instagram and Facebook. So mm -hmm. it'll it'll get out there once it's once it's up. Yeah, and then we'll also put your Instagram and Facebook and your website in the show notes. So if anyone's interested, they can go check it out. So thank you so much, Christian, for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been great. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. No, and I I loved hearing uh, the perspective from a teacher, not just. Uh, you know, someone who's never had experience teaching, which that's a teaching is a totally new beast. So it's, it's really interesting to hear your input. Good. Good. Yeah. Happy so to thank share. you. Of course. <laughs> thank you.